This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and Heronext.com. Finally, a comic shopping site for collectors by collectors. Achoo! Hi, this is Jason Liu, the creator of the Pitiful Human Lizard, and you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast with Joe and Matt. Sort of, sort of break, it, break it down like good. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area. My pleasure. Welcome you to episode 175 of THN. It's yet another landmark episode. This one I'll give you. It's a milestone. Landmark. Milestone. Where we're talking about comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, August 20th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me on Twitter under the handle at Matt Baumstein. And when I'm not sending out unsolicited sausage pics to unsuspecting vegetarians and vegans, I am writing the Comic Speculator blog for WordPoint.com. <laughs> That's true. That did actually happen. And I'm Joe Patrick. That's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not changing our Twitter password before Matt can spam our followers with another kielbasa pick. Kielbasa! I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. I yell that before I break boards and stuff when I'm doing karate. It's <laughs> sure. cool. In this week's episode, you'll hear our in-depth cool. reviews of Deadly Hands of Kung Fu, number four, and The Pitiful Human Lizard, number one. After that, we'll discuss our Ice Bucket Challenge while we review ten more of this week's new comics during the ludicrous speed round. Then, we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where a couple of literally hot babes will help us with our shrinkage while we discuss next week's comics. And finally... It's time to play. Take a look. It's in a book. Where this month, we're reviewing Jimmy Starlin's new Thanos joint. But before we get to Dum Dum Dugan's long overdue eulogy, apparently. A warning to parents with kids listening. Due to the news, this week's show is all about butts and dicks. Now let's talk about this week's big news. The comic book community is a relatively small and close one, made that much closer by the power of social media. Fans, creators, and journalists interact on a level unheard of by earlier generations. Friendships are made, and in some cases, romantic relationships are even formed, despite the fact that we're scattered all over the world. So when a person commits a disgusting act of harassment against others in our community, we all stop and take notice, and we all have an opinion. That's what happened earlier this week when Yale Stewart artist of the popular webcomic JL8, was accused of sending unsolicited nude pictures to several women in the comics community. Stewart soon admitted to sending the photos, at least some of them. In a post on his blog, the artist said, quote, Two years ago, I was engaged in two separate relationships with women whom I was sexually active with. Bad grammar, bro. Given the nature of these relationships, is my... Is cheating? Just that, like, did they know? You know what I mean? Well, like, I don't know if it was at the same time. <laughs> it's asking. not important. I mean, it's curious. Given the nature of these relationships, my experiences in past relationships and various dialogues with these women, I thought it had been established within each relationship that intimate or explicit photos were acceptable, possibly even desired. I grossly misread the situation. It has been brought to my attention that both of these women were uncomfortable with my behavior and needless to say, I'm absolutely disgusted with myself. How could I so horribly misinterpret the situation confounds me, but that confusion pales in comparison to the shame of knowing that I did the very thing to these two women that I openly chastise people for on a regular basis. Also, beyond that, that these women felt this way for two years without me knowing and attempting to make amends, which is wholly unacceptable in its own right. I have reached out to both of these women and have made private apologies, but I felt it was my responsibility to make a public one as well. As stated earlier, I believe sexual harassment to be an incredibly serious issue. And while the harassment in question was a terrible and ignorant mistake, it does not change the fact that that's what it was, and I accept full responsibility, end quote. Now, while it appears that Stewart has made a contrite apology... Multiple reports from several corroborating sources have stated that Stewart's indiscretions didn't stop at two women, and he certainly wasn't in a relationship with them, sexual or otherwise. Stewart has since added to his story, stating that maybe he sent an explicit photo or two on accident. I mean, that happens all the time. To the wrong woman while chatting online. Mom, that wasn't for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> the veracity of his claims may never be proven because, as of now, the women in question have chosen to remain anonymous. And who can blame them? The moment the story broke, the internet erupted with support for Stewart with sentiments ranging from victim blaming to silence is consent 
to, hey, we've all been there. What's the big deal? And much, much scarier. Matt, why does the internet have to prove week in and week out that people are just the f***ing worst? There's so many sides to this. There's a much larger discussion here that you and I are not intelligent enough even to go into about the well, treatment of women. we can't relate to it necessarily. Right. The but... treatment of women in comics, in cosplay, at conventions, in the entire nerd community, if you will. It's not that it doesn't happen in all sorts of industries or, or organizations or groups, but the comics community is small, it's close-knit, and the internet connects us in a way that we never had right. in previous generations. And so... When this kind of stuff happens, it's like having a, it's like a a, a scandal in a small town, right? Sure. It's, it's a big deal and people should be upset and people should speak out against it. Totally. Because this community that we have, it's special. It's worth fighting for. It's worth protecting. It's not okay to treat people this way. Absolutely. And, be- and it doesn't just happen to women. Uh, certainly it must happen to men as I'm well. I'm sure. But overwhelmingly, the entitlement of guys that says, hey, I can treat a woman as an object because sure. she is wearing a red Sonya costume at a convention or she's walking around Comic-Con by herself. She's not with a boyfriend right. or whatever. Or it's not even just that, but it's not even in the nerd world. Like I was talking, Brett Favre said a picture of his penis with masseuse. Anthony Weiner is sending, which I can't believe the dude's last name is Weiner and he's sending out <laughs> dick pics. Right. You know, like there's so many cases of this outside of the comic world too for nerds to look at and say, maybe I shouldn't do that. Right. <laughs> I mean, like, like, here's the takeaway. not away. a winning story where like, yeah, I sent out a bunch of pictures of my penis, but I came out on top. You know what? No. Like <laughs> 20% of them happened. got the thumbs up. Yeah. You know, it's never a good idea, first of all. Second of all, because of the nature of the comic community and the internet and Twitter and how we interact, we can catch stuff like this and we can point a finger and yeah. say- you did this. This is wrong. This is inappropriate. Unfortunately, like this is always going to happen. Right. It's up to us to police this stuff, to come out and to say, hey, this happened to me, or hey, I'm behind this person who was victimized or, you know, or sexually harassed or whatever. Believe it or not, the purpose of this story wasn't to demonize Yale Stewart or his behavior. People with much more eloquence and authority are doing that for us. What we want is for everyone listening, creator, journalist, fan, to know how important it is to speak out against this kind of behavior. If you see something, don't stay silent. Yeah, definitely. You need to be the support that somebody needs when they need it most. Don't allow abusive speech to go without a response. If you're the victim of harassment, it's okay to stay silent because everyone gets to decide for themselves how to respond when they've been harassed, threatened, or assaulted. But... Please know that there are people out there that will advocate for you and you don't have to be alone. Absolutely. And it's like I said, the nature of this community is what makes it great. We stick together, take care of each other. That's what we do. We're nerds, man. Okay, let's set an example for these other jerks out there. We have to be better. Save the dick pics for professional football players and politicians, please. There you go. And because we're on a roll this week, Marvel Comics has released the Milo Monera variant for the upcoming first issue of Dennis Hopeless and Greg Land's Spider-Woman series. The cover depicts Jessica Drew crawling onto a roof of a building in a manner some have deemed anatomically impossible. To say that the cover has created an internet storm of criticism is a vast understatement for those who don't know. I bet Yale Stewart was like, thank God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Milo Manera is an Italian artist known primarily for drawing comic book erotica, a polite way of saying porn. He's an industry legend, and he's very good at what he does. However, the response to the image has been fierce, prompting hundreds, if not thousands, of Twitter complaints, requests that Marvel have Manera redraw the cover, and even artistic critiques from the likes of the MarySue.com. Based on comments made by Tom Brevoort on Friday morning, Marvel's response to the controversy seems to be, hey, you hire Manera, you get Manera. Don't buy it if you don't want it, end quote. Meanwhile, Monero's response... That is, was not actually a quote. I'm, oh. par- I'm paraphrasing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Don't buy it if you don't want it. Yeah. Meanwhile, Monero's response is one of puzzled bemusement, saying, quote, it's not my fault if women are like that. I only draw them. It's not my design. It's one from a far more important author whose, 
For those who believe, on the other hand, for evolutionists like me, women's bodies have taken this form over millennia to avoid the extinction of the species. If women were made exactly as men with the same shape, I think we would have been extinct for a very long time already. I'll give props to Monero. That is very poetic. <laughs> Joe, uh, you're a huge pervert. What did you think of the cover? It is it is a, a very bad translation from an Italian yeah, I'm interviewer. Sure. But Milo Monero is a weirdo that talks like this. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> All right. So this is what I think. I think that Marvel hired a known porn artist to draw a variant cover to a comic that is part of Marvel's initiative to increase the visibility of female characters a comic that is probably aimed primarily at female readers. Bad idea. I agree. But it's a bad idea. I agree. But I, I have to wonder, why is it an issue now when this is like the 15th or 20th Monero variant that hit? Um, well, it's an issue now because, in part, the previous Monero variants are much less... I disagree. There's some where you can straight up see nipples, man. Like, no, no, no. some of them are pretty, I mean, not full on, but like bulging and stuff. They're all pretty <laughs> sexy. Oh, bulging nipples and stuff? Yeah. I mean, like, he, they're all pretty hypersexualized. I just, I'm curious. Some of them are more tame. Uh, they're definitely tamer than this one. Some are. This one, like, she is presenting herself like a dog in heat. <laughs> her butt is definitely up in the air and ridiculously drawn. Like, I think if you were standing behind her, you'd be able to see what she had for lunch. Quite possibly. The other ones are maybe, yeah, like they're sexy, mm -hmm. but they're in, you know, action poses or they're holding a sword. They're also not for books that are like, hey, girls can read comics too. Here's a female-led comic book. Also a pornography cover. I mean, I don't, it, whether this is geared to men or women, I don't know. I'm of the mindset this gets really close to censorship and censorship really bothers me. I'm not now. Here's the thing: Am I buying this cover? No, because I do think it's kind of pervy or whatever. But there's people out there that want that stuff, and that's not for me to tell them. No, you can't have it. Ew. I think I got to go with Tom Brevoort here. If you don't want it, don't buy it. There's no doubt in my mind that the presence of a Spider Woman book on the stands so soon after her last series sure. tanked or got canceled or whatever is 100 percent because of the desire to increase. The presence of female characters. Oh yeah, Marvel's in the public making eye. a big push at it. And so, if you're doing that, and then you hire a porn artist to do your variant cover, that is a misstep. I'm not saying. I'm not saying that that for other comics, like they, the other ones were X Men and Guardians of the Galaxy. No, those I, are existing books. And I want let me make it very plain. I agree. This is in bad taste. Yeah. So if they want totally if they want to hire Milo Minara to draw covers. I don't care. At the same time, it just gets so close to censorship. I'm not saying this is a black or white. It's, this is a very gray area. Very gray. Milo Manera has made his career drawing erotic comics. Sure. Dudes and women in extremely hypersexualized situations. And that's what he does. And props to him. He's very good at it. It's not for me. You know, but a lot of people love it. And I just, I get a little scared when people start saying, you should redraw that or you should change your art and stuff like that. It's a little, uh, just don't buy it. Yeah, but it's not censorship not unless like, feel free, they get on the force internet him to redraw and it. I agree with that. And also nobody's stomping on his free speech. That's true. But I'm just saying, feel free to get on the internet and say, I don't like it. Feel free to say, don't buy it. But demanding someone redraw something, that's where I draw the line. I, uh, that's censorship and I'm not okay with that. Make the statement with your wallet. <laughs> that's where it comes down. I'm not buying it. Because I don't want it in my collection. <laughs> Marvel should have thought better of it. I do think it is in bad taste. It is, but it needs to be stated that there is a difference between drawing a character that is sexy and drawing a character that is a sex object. Oh, no, of course. And this Spider-Woman cover is presenting her as a sex object. Again, I think it is definitely in bad taste and a misstep for Marvel. But That's all. I don't think it should be censored either. Finally, the live-action adaptation of Brian Michael Bendis and Michael Avon Oming's Powers has cast two well-known genre actors, Michelle Forbes of Star Trek The Next Generation, Battlestar Galactica, Orphan Black, and pretty much everything else has been cast as Retro Girl, while Charlotte Copley, star of District 9, Elysium, and the A-Team, has been cast in the lead male role of Detective Christian Walker. In case you couldn't tell by my tone, I'm a little confused. I don't get it. 
Powers is the story of Detectives Walker and Pilgrim, two New York City cops that investigate superpowered crimes. The story arc of the Powers comic series first volume is Who Killed Retro Girl? So, sorry, Ms. Forbes. The two new additions join Eddie Izzard as Wolf, Noah Taylor as Johnny Royale, Olesia Rulin as Callista, and Susan Hayward as Dina Pilgrim on the series, which should launch in December exclusively on the Sony PlayStation Network. Charlotte Copley? I really like him. I do too. Like, I just, I loved him in the A-Team. I love District 9. I just watched Elysium, which was not a great movie, but he was good in it. He is not my Detective Walker. I can't say it any other way. No. I'm just, (laughs) it's, like, I'm not mad about it because whatever. Like, they're not going to find a guy that looks like, Michael Avon Oming's depiction of Christian Walker. That Except guy is Patrick. shaped like an upside down triangle. That guy is Jason Patrick. <sighs> they already cast him before. It was a great idea. But this is just a really out of left field choice. It's super weird. Michelle Forbes, I think, looks like a comic book character. She's like too pretty to be real. Um, <laughs> so Michelle I, Forbes, she played Miranda Zero in yeah. the Global Frequency pilot. She's been in a uh, ton of stuff. Which was a perfect bit of casting. And I know that like in the Powers universe, these characters were immortal. Spoilers. And Retro Girl was supposed to like, from the way they depicted her, she was like a 19-year-old girl. She seemed young. Yeah. This seems a bit older for Retro Girl. Yeah. But I mean, she was an immortal, which means she was actually much older than she looked. Like the last time we saw Michelle Forbes, I think she was the mom in The Killing. Uh, she was on. She's on Orphan Black now. She was uh, just in the last few episodes of the season two of Orphan Black. I don't know. These are weird choices. I like Michelle Forbes. I like Charlotte Copley. I don't know if I'm ever going to get to see this show because I don't have the Sony PlayStation Network. Yeah. This is more. Hey, steal this from the internet, guys. <laughs> Can you even like save stuff and upload? Yeah, there's, never there's, mind. Yeah. I don't want to talk about. Yes, there is a hard drive in your in your PS4. Yeah. It doesn't click in my brain as as the right choice. It's a really weird, yeah. It's really weird casting for a really weird way to put out a weird show on a video game system. I don't know. The whole but, thing is okay. strange. But here's the bottom line for me. I trust Bendis to, to do right by his own property. I like the work of both of these actors. Yeah. And if they're going in a slightly different direction, that's okay. If the show is great, then I'm all for it. Yeah. Susan Hayward, Eddie Izzard. Like, this is a really good line. Eddie Izzard is amazing. He's totally great. So I guess we'll buy a PS4 and see. Somebody let us know how it turns out. Uh, yeah. That's, that's where I was going with this. Is this what it takes to get you to buy a PS4? No. The answer no. is no. <laughs> that's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything. That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, hit us up on the THN forums where I am featuring photos of a smorgasbord of my wieners I've made over the years, all very tastefully posted. You should have seen the one he sent me last night. It was just some cold hot dogs out of a package. I was trying to prove a point. Every Sunday, the Sausage and My Sausage Party, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week in the THN forums. Joe, what are we asking the listeners this week? This week's question, we talked about Z-list villains. Now it's time for Z-list heroes. We want to hear about your favorite lame nobody hero, and the rules are the same. Who are they? What's their deal? Why do you love them? Hey, look. There might be some trash talk, yeah. but we love these characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's all in fun. I need you to admit to yourself that maybe your favorite hero is a Z-lister, you know? <laughs> like, hey, like, I'm no ready. No way, dude. Razorback is top A. I got bad news, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you have until midnight. You have until midnight this coming Thursday, August 28th. To get us your answer, you can Skype. And leave a message with your answer using uh, Skype. <laughs> Our handle is 2 at a nerd, all one word. <laughs> or at the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. But keep it under three minutes. You will get cut off. You can send an MP3 to 2 at a nerd at gmail.com. Again, please keep it short. We're going to have a lot of callers. We all want to share the airwaves. If you need more time than that, feel free to write your full answer in the question of the week section of the THN web forums. It's where all the magic happens. Uh, it's review time on THN where Matt and I force our opinions on two of this week's comics, whether, whether they, they like it or not. Or not. <laughs> Matt, what did you review this week? This week, 
I'm reviewing Deadly Hands of Kung Fu, number four, from Marvel, written by Mike Benson, with art by Tan Eng Huat. This was 32 pages long and has a price tag of $3.99. Other than Benson's run on the 2006 Moon Knight series, where he took over writing duties from Charlie Houston, I haven't read much of his work. Here he's writing the story of Shang-Chi investigating the death of an old flame named Lyco, killed in the line of duty while working for MI6 by, of all villains, Razor Fist. Speaking of (laughs) Z-listers. Yeah, the guy with swords for hands who couldn't come up with a better name and needs help pulling his pants up. Later, we learn that Razor Fist is working for a mystery man known only as the White Dragon, and the White Dragon is working for an even more mysterious man. (laughs) During the story... Colleen Wing and Misty Knight, the Daughters of the Dragon, show up, and we're reintroduced to D-list Marvel Kung Fu characters like the Sons of the Tiger, who I totally forgot about. These are the guys who used to wield the tiger amulets that give the White Tiger, who is now Ava Ayala, her powers. And Skull Crusher, who I admit I had to look up. And, spoiler alert, Midnight Sun, the adopted son of Fu Manchu, who grew up with Shang-Chi and was his buddy until ordered to kill him. But for copyright reasons, we can't call him Fu Manchu. Nope. Long story short, Shang defeated Midnight Sun, and the Kree scooped up his body, cloned him, gave him superpowers, and sent him to kill the Silver Surfer. What? Apparently he's back on Earth, and that cosmic (laughs) may not have happened at all. (laughs) Regardless, he has a plan to take over China using some very black Chinese magic. By the way, I should mention, this is all taking place in London. Not China, London. (laughs) Sure. Which, if you're going to take over China. Hotbed of Kung Fu action. You've got to start in London, right? I should love this. We've got a parade of Marvel Kung Fu characters from the 70s. There's hot comic book Kung Fu action, black magic, ancient Chinese secrets. This should be everything I love about martial arts comics. But the story is so rushed, it was almost completely impossible to follow. Ninjas come flying out of the English countryside to attack the sons and daughters of the tiger and dragon, respectively, who have stolen a double-decker bus off-panel to race to save Shang-Chi after a scene right out of Hellraiser, where a character returns from death through a puddle of blood. This was just nuts. Given a little room to breathe, like maybe a monthly schedule where Benson could flesh out the story a little, I could see this being a good time. But it was just too much, too fast. And Tang and Huat's art was really weird. I wonder if maybe they were going to go for six issues and then they're like, eh, it sure maybe seems, four. It sure seems <laughs> something like that happened because in between issue three and four, there's a distinct cliffhanger at the end of issue three. And issue four seems to pick up seven pages after that cliffhanger. We're like, you know what I mean? Where it's just like, stay tuned to see what happens next time. And then it's like, it's already happening. We don't have time to worry about that. And that's where the bus thing came in. We're like, when did this happen? (laughs) Normally, I like Huat's style. It's sort of angular. And he's got some really interesting point of view that he works with. But he was going for something just different here. And it didn't grab me at all. I don't know if he was sort of trying to capture the feeling of the old 70s Marvel Kung Fu books, but he missed the mark. Truthfully, had they left his name off the credits in this comic, I would have never guessed it was him. And I've been following his art since I first encountered him in the 2001 reboot of DC's Doom Patrol, which I would argue I still think is some of his best stuff. I like the way Benson wrote Shang-Chi as a character here, but the story was just too much and completely disjointed. Huat is a great artist, but I'm just not sure what he was going for. This still left me wanting another great Marvel martial arts title to fill the void left by the previous Immortal Iron Fist series. I love Shang-Chi so much. Why can't they get him right? He's Marvel's Bruce Lee. Go. That's all you have to do. Leave it. I was going to say skim it. Give him a leave it. Dang. It just breaks my heart, man. These should be the easiest comics to write. There's no mutants. There's no like huge soap opera. Just kung fu badassery. Go, you know. I didn't even read it. I I read number one. Really didn't like it, and I was not gonna. I, I didn't have time, frankly. I to, suffered through it to get caught up on the whole miniseries. Yeah. So 
I abstain, but I will tell you that I didn't like number one at all. Right on. <laughs> Joe Patrick, tell me what you chose to review this week. This week, I am reviewing The Pitiful Human Lizard. Sounds pathetic. Number one, written and illustrated by Jason Liu. Here's the description from the website. Introducing Toronto's new superhero. Well, sort of. Lucas Barrett is a 9-to-5 desk jockey by day and a struggling superhero by night. And on weekends, he's also broke. Hey, costume repairs and Brazilian jiu-jitsu lessons cost money. When his job salary isn't enough to support his superhero hobby, Lucas finds an alternate plan that may heighten his career as a costumed vigilante. Loyal listener Charlie Tron 3000 contacted us last week and asked if we'd take a look at a self-published comic featuring Canada's newest superhero. How could I resist such a polite request? Those Canadians. I know. They're just sweet people. You never really know what you're going to get with self-published comics. I love them. I'm happy they exist, and I fully support everyone's efforts. Absolutely. Let's be fair. Some of it sucks. It's a mixed bag. <laughs> no, you could say that about all of it, though. Sure, right. 95% no, of it true. sucks. It's true. Know? I was happy to discover that the Pitiful Human Lizard is a well-produced, hilarious comic with great art. Somehow, Lucas Barrett out Peter Parker's Peter Parker. His life is a series of small indignities, his card getting declined at jujitsu class, or his boss yelling at him for taking a personal call at work seconds before taking a personal call of her own right in front of him. Lou makes Lucas's life relatable on an adult level in the same way Stan Lee and Steve Ditko did with teenagers in the 60s. Grown-up Joe Patrick read this and saw a little bit of himself in some of the antics that happened to Lucas Barrett, and I appreciated it. Every time Joe Patrick climbs a wall, he falls in a dumpster. Every time. It's hilarious. The book is full of fun characters like Lucas's buddy Majestic Rat, a slacker hero that sends hordes of rats, Lassie style, to call for help. <laughs> and his parents, who pretend not to know Lucas's secret identity because they're having too much fun messing with him. I really loved Lou's art. His style's reminiscent of Steve Lieber from Superior Foes of Spider-Man. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but yes. Or a much more lighthearted Michael Gatos. Lou does a great job from top to bottom, from the book design and lettering to the really pleasing color palette. I thought it just really looked great. It's $10, and that price point is going to seem pretty steep. But here's the thing. This is a 52-page, full-color indie comic. You wouldn't hesitate to spend 5 bucks on a book half this size, and it'd probably be in black and white. This issue was funded through a successful Kickstarter campaign, and its sales will help fund future issues. I, for one, would love to see more from Jason Liu and the Pitiful Human Lizard. You can purchase it directly from pitifulhumanlizard.storeenvy.com. I can't believe that URL wasn't taken. <laughs> and I'll include a link in the show notes. This gets a huge buy it from me. Super, super pleasantly surprised. I'm giving it a buy it as well. And you're right. It is a little expensive. I saw that price tag and went, Ugh. but it's important to remember this is one guy doing it all on his own, funding it all on his own. So yeah, it's going to be a little more expensive. But when you buy this, you're helping him out. You're not helping out a corporation. You're not throwing money at nobody. You're giving money to Jason Liu saying, I like what you did here. And, and I, I want liked, you to I want you to keep doing it. And I liked what he did. And I, I I like what you said about Peter Parker. The one thing that I never I love Spider-Man. I read Spider-Man comics every month. The one thing I never have been able to believe about Peter Parker is that he's as big of a screw up as he is. It's like you're really, really good at being a hero. The pitiful human lizard is not good no, at being he's a hero. Not, he's not he's a good. much more realistic Peter Parker. You're like he's 100% Peter Parker, not 50% Peter Parker, 50% Spider-Man, you know? Right. And this was really well-written, and it was funny, and he, there was some, like, very meta stuff going on here. I love that his parents knew about it and totally made fun of him. I love the, like, the tick aspects of this from, like, the Majestic Rat, like, people with it, it code names and dumb powers. It's very you know? tick-like, but without being uh, but it's farcical. Not, it's not a cartoon. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. just sort of like, this is what happens when someone who's not very good at being a hero and better at being a medical test subject accidentally 
sort of gets powers. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it was just fun. It yeah. was funny. It was well written. It was well drawn. It was fun. It's important to sport like stuff like this. Bye. I loved it. So that is a lone leave it for Deadly Hands of Kung Fu number four and a double buy it for the pitiful human lizard number one. Of course, we want to know what you D-list Kung Fu warriors and medical test subjects thought of these comics. So crane kick us with your opinions over at the This Week's Comics section of the THN forums, which you can find by clicking the forum button at twoheadednerd.com. There was a bit of a kerfuffle on the net this week after our very own Wooly Toots nominated us for an ice bucket challenge, and we missed our 24-hour window. I assure you the delay was for logistical reasons, and we plan on accepting our ice bucket challenge now with help from some of our friends. Iceman was kind enough to create a 12-story ice water slide that will be sliding down at world record-breaking water slide speed, only to splash down into a giant ice bucket chilled by Killer Frost. So join us for the ultimate ice bucket challenge as we review 10 more of this week's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round for charity! Ludicrous Speed, go! The fade out, number one, from Image, for charity. (laughs) Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips are back doing what they do best, crime noir comics. This was a fantastic first issue that sets up a compelling mystery set during one of the most interesting times in American history. Can't wait for more. If you have the chance to pick up the movie magazine variant. I didn't see that. It looks like an old pulp magazine that's all beat up. And it's got some extra stuff in the back about like the creative process. Loved it. I loved it, too. Huge buy it. Only complaint wasn't fatale. Ugh. That book is over. I know. Ship has sailed. <laughs> I know. Clive Barker's Hellraiser Bestiary, number one from Boom. Bestiary is a new anthology taking place in the Hellraiser U, and it's just as gory and gloomy as you'd expect. I like the first story, which sees Pinhead returning from Earth, even more bloodthirsty than before. The second story about a group of helpful landlords in New Jersey left me scratching my head. And the third story had amazing art by Carlos Magno, but... Like most anthologies, this one suffered from each story being too short for me to find anything to really bring me back for more. Anthologies are very tough to get right, and this one is good, but it's not great. If you're a Hellraiser fan, you'll probably dig it. I'm giving it a skim. Death in Oaxaca, number one from Alternative Comics. Writer-artist Steve Laffler delivers a fun little story about a pair of American expats in Mexico that takes a turn for the surreal. I wasn't sure what I thought of it at first, but I ended up really enjoying it. And Laffler has an interesting cartooning style that I really liked. I'm giving it a buy it. Justice Inc., number one from Dynamite. I've read a few of these crossovers that no one demanded from Dynamite, and they all seem to suffer from the same mishmash syndrome. Too many characters to establish, bad guys you've never heard of, up to very complicated schemes requiring very wordy dialogue and less than great art. Here we get Doc Savage, who rather irresponsibly tears open a wormhole from the present day to 1939. What a jerk. I know. The Shadow, who's being a jerk in 1939, and a character I've never heard of called The Avenger. Also, Howard Hughes shows up. This did nothing for me, and I have to wonder, is anyone into this? If you are, let me know. I want to know what you like about it. I'm giving it a leave it. Justice Sync is like an existing concept that The Avenger comes from, where The Avenger comes from. Okay. Yeah, just <laughs> just letting you know. I believe it. I just don't care. Little Nemo, Return to Slumberland, number one from IDW. I've always been fascinated by the work of artist Windsor McKay, and now, 109 years after it first launched in newspapers. That's crazy. I can't think of anyone better than Eric Shanower and Gabriel Rodriguez to bring Little Nemo back to life. Fun and imaginative all-ages adventure with artwork that you have to see to believe even if you only appreciate it as eye candy, it's worth every penny. Huge buy it. Steampunk Battlestar Galactica 1880, number one from Dynamite. Why? You know what you're going to say. Oh, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think spaceships fall under the purview of steampunk. In fact, after reading this, my whole idea of steampunk seems to be wrong. Here, it's forcing royalty into the BSG world, along with bad costumes and colonial vipers that look like flying boats. 
I suppose there was just enough steampunk to anger my allergy and leave me with an itchy throat, but I don't see what was steampunk about this at all. And what's with the 1880 title? Is this taking place in 1880? And if so, why are there spaceships? Regardless, <laughs> if you thought BSG needed more bowler hats, corsets, goggles, and swashbuckling, I guess this is the comic for you. I'm giving it a big stinky leave it. Isn't it a callback to Galactica 1980? I guess. Which was like the sequel to the original film? Maybe. Why is my question. And why steampunk? Because it's steampunk. And who wants this? And what the f*** is steampunk anymore? I don't even know. Steampunk It used to just be stilts and goggles. Now I don't know what the f*** it is. (laughs) Sensation Comics, number one from DC. It's Wonder Woman's turn in the digital first spotlight as Gail Simone and Ethan Van Skyver team up to bring us a fun story about Wonder Woman taking care of business in Gotham City while Batman's away. It's full of the gleeful disregard of the New 52 that I loved about Adventures of Superman and Legends of the Dark Knight. I love the story. I found Ethan Van Skyver's art to be really awkward in parts. He's gotten really weird lately, right? It just wasn't his best. And I'm not talking about his bonehead politics either. I mean, <laughs> his art has changed. Any information about the second story by Amanda Dybert and Kat Staggs has completely left my brain. I remember being not that into it, but to be perfectly fair, it was really late when I read it, and now I can't remember it at all. I read three of these comics on drugs, got everything right, okay? Damn. <laughs> Still, I'm giving it a skim it based on the hope that this anthology series will end up being more hit than miss. I didn't even know this was a thing that was happening. The Delinquents, number one, from Valiant. James Asmus writes the Quantum and Woody and Archer and Armstrong crossover you never knew you wanted, and hilarity ensues. Kano is on art duties, and he's just masterful as usual with his deceptively simple style. What else could bring these two duos together other than a hobo treasure map tattooed on preserved butt skin? (laughs) This is a smart, funny ray of sunshine in an otherwise bleak Valiant U. I can't believe that they can get away with humor comics like this with the rest of the way that that universe is set up. I can't give this a bigger buy it. I laughed out loud while I read it. It was great. Buy it. The Multiversity number one from DC Comics. Grant Morrison is back at DC with this first issue of his drug-fueled, I assume. Everything a dude does is drug-fueled. Trip (laughs) through the multiverse. That's like saying he was breathing while he did it. (laughs) I know I was already in the tank for this one, but I sincerely loved every minute of it. President Superman of Earth-23 meets a host of other dimensional heroes, including the most badass version of Captain Carrot I have ever seen. Speaking of Z-list heroes. The script leans more towards JLA than the filth on the Morrison weirdness scale. There's no talking dolphins. The MWS. Talking perverted dolphins. (laughs) And Ivan Rice's art is brilliant as usual. I can't wait to see where this roller coaster ride takes me. Huge buy it. Dark Horse presents number one from Dark Horse. All right. DHB relaunches with a new format, though I didn't really notice anything different. What's important is that Jeff Darrow and Frank Miller's The Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot return this time, minus the Frank Miller. And again, I didn't notice anything different. There's some resident alien here, a little of David Max Kabuki, the return of the Sabretooth Swordsman, which was just awesome. Palmiotti and Gray's Wrestling with Demons, part one which looks like it is going to be amazing. What else could a nerd ask for? This is an anthology done right, and that is not an easy thing to do. Giving this a buy it. That is your ludicrous speed round, and is the sound of the saber-toothed swordsman falling down the throat of a living pyramid. That book is nuts, dude. <laughs> it is totally insane. You have to see it to believe it. it. It sounds nuts. After a chilling experience like that one, it's time for Matt and I to retire to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum for hot stone massages from two of our favorite pyrokinetics, Beatrice DaCosta, a.k.a. Fire, and Angelica Jones, a.k.a. Firestar. Nobody keeps them hot like those girls. Woo! Matt, while the ladies work their magic, why don't we discuss what we're excited to read next week? Next week, I'm picking up Guardians of the Galaxy number 18 from Marvel, written by B.M. Bendis with art by Ed McGinnis. Here's your solicit. You know you want to know how Star-Lord got back from the Cancerverse. And didn't Nova go in there with him? Question mark? Guess he's not into the whole no man left behind thing. Joe Patrick, 
we're going to find out what happened to Richard Ryder. And it is about goddamn time. Yeah, and I have a feeling I'm going to be really upset. You might not like it. (laughs) (laughs) But we've all got to see. What are you reading next week? You know, my pick of the week was also going to be Guardians of the Galaxy number 18. Until I remembered that Bob's Burgers number one from Dynamite Entertainment is coming out. Confession, I've never seen Bob's Burgers. Oh, man. This is written by Rachel Hastings with art by Frank Forte. There's multiple stories. So there's some other dudes in there. They did not get credited. I'm sorry. They're nobody anyway. Don't worry about them. Here's your solicit. All right. (laughs) What is that? That's my Linda Belcher impression. Oh, that's a Bob's Burgers thing. Okay. All right. The very first Bob's Burgers comic book, a new series from the creator of the hit show created by Lauren Bouchard. Now you can read about the Belcher family, parents Bob and Linda, and their children, Tina, Jean, and Louise, in brand new in-canon stories created by the TV show's producers, writers, and animators, creating all new original stories appearing exclusively in this comic series. They said the same, they used the same three words. Pretty much. <laughs> three times they in that sentence. They just repeating themselves. And how important is canon to this show? I mean, I admit I never watched it. But uh, like, very <laughs> unimportant. Heavy continuity? Or like <laughs> well, it's not like Aqua Teen Hunger Force where like they die half the time at the end, you know? Like... <laughs> It's relatively rooted in reality. Right. Okay. Each comic includes hilarious installments of Louise's Unsolved Mysteries, Tina's erotic friend fiction, a Gene Belcher original musical, letters written by Linda, and Bob's Burger of the Day. Bob's Burgers is an American animated sitcom that airs on Fox Television with other hits, such as The Simpsons and Family (laughs) Guy. Come (laughs) on. They put that in at the end. Like just for the people reading previews that were like, "What the fuck is Bob's like, Burgers?" I don't give a shit about that. Wait a minute, The Simpsons and Family Guy. Count me in, you know. Uh, Bob's Burgers is an amazing cartoon. The guy that does the voice of Bob is H. John Benjamin from Archer and Love Home him. Movies Love and him. everything else. There's a million really talented comedians that do voices on that show. It's oh yeah, uh, Kristen Schaal is uh, the youngest daughter. Uh, Eugene Merman is the son. It is. Just roll on the floor, hilarious every time. Yeah, I gotta watch it. I, it's on Netflix, man. I know. And hey, for all of you local fans, we love that show so much that we signed up for the store exclusive Bob's Burgers variant, which means we will have a one of a kind variant cover with our legend logo. Really? In the opening credits of Bob's Burgers, there's the little strip where the burger shop is. Right. And on one side is the funeral parlor, and on the other side is a business that's constantly changing because it always fails. Oh, okay. And we are that business. That's cool. That's cool. I'm so excited. The DHN Trade of the Week goes to Jessica Jones, the Pulse Complete Collection trade paperback from Marvel Comics. It's the all BM Bendis show, man. Written by BM Bendis, art by Mark Bagley, Michael Lark, Olivier Coapeau, and Friends. Here's your solicit, Jessica Jones, breakout star of B.M. Menace's hit series, Alias is back. Not that alias. And the ex-Avenger turned private investigator is starting a new chapter in her life, working for the Daily Bugle's new superhero section, The Pulse. Jessica's first assignment to uncover the identity of a former Bugle reporter's super-powered murderer. How was Norman Osborn involved? And how will Jessica's shocking discovery affect the entire Marvel Universe? And when Nick Fury's secret war spills over into the streets, it hits Jessica and Luke Cage right where they live. (laughs) Right in the jewels. Right in the pants. With their lives in shambles, Jessica decides to fight back. Finally, it's the moment you've been waiting for. The birth of Jessica and Luke's baby. And their wedding day. Guest starring Spider-Man, Captain those America. Two have, those three events do not yeah, I, all go together. Yeah, I don't know. Like, which event was I waiting for exactly? <laughs> all three? One of the three? Guest starring Spider-Man, Cap, and the new Avengers, and more. Collecting the Pulse, 1 through 9, and 11 through 14, but not 10? What the f***? And the new Avengers Annual 2006, number 1. Why not 10? So, the Pulse number 10 was a House of M tie-in. Okay, so that could be... So- Red on its own, it yeah. will not make any sense, and it has no bearing on what what's going on the in the book. What the hell just happened? So, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, if you want to read the Pulse number 10, you got to go find a back issue. So this was the spinoff of Alias, which was a Max comic right. that introduced Jessica Jones. This was Bendis taking her into the Marvel Universe proper from whatever weird continuity Max lives in. Yeah. and Never quite fleshed out. We don't really know. Well, Max, Max... It's its own thing. 
Max, in general, I, I think is viewed as out of continuity. Certainly, Punisher Max is not in continuity. Somebody tell us what Earth number what we need to know. Somebody hit us. Earth triple X. I don't know. That's ridiculous. It's great, and it could not come at a better time because that Jessica Jones Netflix show is coming out real quick here, right? And so, very smart of Marvel to put it back in print. These are great stories. Jessica Jones is a great character. Yeah. I'm excited to be able to reread it. Underused, too. Totally underused. You know what? You've had a hard week. You really have. Go get yourself a massage. You, you know what? You deserve it, buddy. You've earned it. And when you're done, let us know what you plan on reading next week over at the THN forums. Before we move on, we got to pay some bills here in the ziggurat, guys. We have a new sponsor we're super proud of, HeroNext.com. Are you sick of idiots on eBay offering you five bucks to end your auction of Hulkoin81? Guess what? There's a new site called HeroNext.com that's heard your cries, nerds. HeroNext is a free, streamlined comic book selling service run by comic nerds for comic nerds. Unlike other auction sites, HeroNext allows you to easily list your comics with pictures, and then you choose a fixed price. And the listings all have links to the CGC Census, the Grand Comics Database, and both the Marvel and DC Wikis to verify whatever comic you are buying and selling. One of the best things about this, the ease of the search engine. Yeah, man. Like, when you list things on eBay, it's a huge pain. If you try to find Incredible Hulk number one, it's going to come back with posters, every Hulk number one Autograph, miniseries ever made. Rigno pictures. Toys <laughs> for some ridiculous. reason. On HeroNext.com, it's just the comics. Incredible Hulk number one is going to get you nothing but. And it's cool. You search Hulk, Incredible Hulk number one, and it's going to say, all right, do you mean the one from the 60s, the one from the 80s? It's got all the different eras parsed out right there. You pick the one you want. Bam. That is it. These guys have already sold close to $45,000 worth of comics on their site. In just a few months. And it's free. They're not taking any money from the sales right now. How can they afford to pay us? They're freaking saints. I don't know. And you know what? My favorite feature? Customizable comic eras. Very cool. If you think that the Bronze Age starts when Con with Conan number one, and I think it starts when Gwen Stacy died, we're both right on HeroNext.com. HeroNext.com. Check these guys out. They're good buddies of ours. They're out of the goodness of their hearts. They're sponsoring the show. We appreciate it, and they really do have a great site. Go check it out. You guys will love it. It's free. It seems like we were just here three weeks ago but it's time once again for joe and i to prove our add medicine is working when we sit down to review an entire graphic novel that's right we love you guys so much that we ignored our wives just long enough to read and review jim starlin's long-awaited return to thanos with his original graphic novel, Thanos, The Infinity Revelation. Shortly after the Avengers movie hit, and we all got a glimpse of Thanos in the credit cookie, the fanboy grumbling started. Is Jim Starlin going to be taken care of? Does Jim Starlin know about this? Turns out, Jim Starlin had no idea it was coming, wasn't even invited to the premiere. But since then, there's been a little bickering back and forth. Jim Starlin is back in good graces with Marvel, and here is his return to the character. Yeah, so there was a short-lived Thanos ongoing. We'll there it. was also uh, Infinity Abyss and Marvel The End. These are all things Starlin did. The Starlin-verse, I call it. Which is similar to like the Claremont-verse. <laughs> yes. Sure. It's this his own little corner of the Marvel Universe where he gets to do huge storylines. Right. Where universes are destroyed and recreated and characters are altered forever. And then... Sort of. <laughs> and then it's never brought up again except for by Jim Starlin. Right. Here we see a confused Thanos. Something is wrong with the universe. And how else would a completely egomaniacal galactic despot know? Because something is wrong with him. I guess. Starlin returns Thanos to the wordy cosmic philosopher of yesterday. This time accompanied by, spoiler alert, Adam Warlock, who... I thought was Thanos' nemesis? After the original Infinity Gauntlet, they... I mean, they're certainly not pals, but... Okay, I read this, and then I went, you know what? I don't know shit about Adam Warlock. And I read his wiki page, and when I was done, I said to myself, you know what? I still don't know shit about Adam Warlock. Right. <laughs> like, man, that is some complicated cosmic crap. <laughs> 
It is. It is. It's very grandiose. That was my Stanley alliteration there. It's right. good. It's good. Adam Warlock is a good guy. Adam Warlock is a good guy. Yeah, I think so. Why is he palling he around with... He's a cosmic defender. Here, he is palling around with Thanos. They are Because he thinks that whatever Thanos was involved in is part of the natural order, and he needs to be there to make sure it all goes smoothly. Okay, that's where I'm going next. The beginning of the story opens with eternity and infinity having a discussion with the living tribunal like i'm already at the edge of creation pondering this new mystery that has popped up they're not really sure what it is thanos is clued into it and is investigating it with the newly reborn adam warlock i don't know where he's been i barely care he was deed Okay, <laughs> that's I can understand that. <laughs> he got better. So it he, happens to Adam Warlock a lot. Here we see Warlock and Thanos traipsing into other realities and dimensions to investigate what is wrong with the universe. What has changed? What is different? And they're using what looks to be a little three-dimensional Star of David type thing. <laughs> yeah, you know, it looks it looked familiar to me. Like, I'd seen it before, like maybe in the handbook or it's in a, a Doctor relic. Strange comic. It's, it's some sort of cosmic relic and i don't remember what it's called it wouldn't surprise me if this was something from an infinity something that i didn't read I, absolutely you know. yeah i'm sure or mcwilliams if you're out there screaming it right now <laughs> please send us an email i'll be honest i didn't really worry too much about the plot uh you know it's some kind of cosmic transfiguration is set to occur thanos wants to be at the forefront as always starlin uses the story to explore the nature of being and the nature of reality and then meanwhile beta ray bill and his pals show up and smack thanos around Adam Warlock returns from the dead. Thanos spends a lot of time talking to himself. There are some fun moments. There's two Thanos. There's two Adam Warlock. It's definitely alternate realities. And all we know, this is, I'm sorry I'm fixating this, but I don't know what happened in this comic. And that's fine. It's okay. But let's not try to, we don't, it's not not our job to figure it out here in this podcast. I suppose not. Maybe it's not Jim Starlin's fault. Maybe it's my fault. Eh, no. Is okay. I see. I don't know because I feel like Jim Starlin is really good at this kind of stuff. This head scratching, gigantic universal mysteries beyond human comprehension. I just find it really, really boring. Ultimately, seems to me nothing happened in this comic book other than Jim Starlin saying, You, Marvel, Thanos is mine. (laughs) Yeah, essentially. (laughs) Let's talk about the art for a minute. Yeah, I love Starlin's art. I, I realize that his style is bizarre, and his interpretations of some characters are borderline goofy. Yeah. I know you did not like Beta Ray Bill. I hated his Beta like Ray Like, his, his version of Groot is laughably... It's bad. Bizarre. It's bad. But it's definitely a throwback to an earlier time. I do feel, though, that his work has a modern sensibility in terms of storytelling. Okay. Uh, and at first, I couldn't figure out why characters looked different from panel to panel, but then Starlin reveals that the events are occurring in multiple realities at once. Right, like Drax all of a sudden goes back to his old costume. Right. And, uh, By Adam, the way, Adam, I love Drax's old costume. I do too. <laughs> Adam Warlock uh, has a different costume from panel to panel. Thanos always looks the same because yeah. he, he's just, he just looks like Thanos. But then it all clicks into place, and what was once subtle and confusing became something that I studied closely, like... At first, I didn't understand it, but then once I figured out what was happening, I was definitely paying attention for those visual clues. Okay. I, yeah, I think his art looks just as good today as it did 15 years ago. I think his classic sort of 80s style works very well for this type of cosmic psychedelia that he's creating here. Yeah. I found the story a little taxing, but I will say I really like his brooding mountain that is Thanos. And whenever I think of Thanos, I picture him the way jim starlin draws him and i don't think anybody draws thanos like jim starlin i hate his beta ray bill but <laughs> there's only a handful of creators in my opinion that can draw beta ray bill well this was really really well illustrated now, i gotta say starlin a right. lot of guys it's they're getting older and they lose a step here and there starlin still looks fantastic while Yes, and while I do think that his the style of his character drawings is maybe a kind of a throwback, definitely very eighty. His his sense of storytelling and layout and how each page is constructed and how it all breaks down and and the paneling and everything, absolutely as cutting edge now as it was then. 
And that is in contrast to those guys you were talking about. Those, right? But no, I think that this is right at home on the shelves next to modern artists in terms of the visual storytelling aspect. Yeah, and just I mean, just trying to draw the story that he has in his head. This ridiculous, crazy, you know, like universal story. Like I have to give him props for that. One of my favorite things about Jim Sterling's art is that whenever there is a scene set in some sort of altered reality state or psychedelic dimensional shift or whatever there's always a giant mouth with huge lips for no reason there's also a eyeball with bat wings yeah it's just like <laughs> what the <laughs> f- are the rolling stones nearby yeah, I what's don't going know. on i don't know yeah. uh, also the coloring by frank de armada beautiful and rachel rosenberg beautiful really great yeah so let's get to our rating ultimately I agree that it felt like a tremendous effort was made to accomplish very little. Yeah. But I think that that's the perfect place for Starlin to be in the Marvel Universe, you know, in the margins, affecting subtle changes through these grandiose cosmic adventures. Right. I can't say it's a must read or even that there's a draw here for anyone that isn't a hardcore Marvel fan. I enjoyed it. And Starlin is a master of his craft. I'm giving a a strong skim it. I think I'm in a similar place. This just isn't for me. When you pick up a Starlin Thanos comic, this is what you get. A story that begins at the beginning of time, centers around cosmic entities with human forms, pondering mysteries larger than the universe itself, and of course, Thanos being a wordy jerk and pondering the same mysteries. I I just didn't get where we ended up. And it seems like, like I said, this is just Starlin's way to say... My character, I'll do what I yeah. want with him. You it, can suck at Marvel, with, and so can you, Matt. Without Bomb. spoiling, <laughs> yeah, without spoiling too much, it really did read like this was Starlin saying in 100 pages. This was Starlin saying all that stuff that Marvel has spent doing in the cosmic realm without me right. is bullshit. Yeah, and this is for real. And you know who else knows it? Thanos. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> so I mean, there's something to be said for that. I'm giving it a skimming as well. I thought it was fun. It's definitely not going to be everyone's cup of tea. New. As always, we want to know what you cosmic despots thought of this book. So, if you read the Thanos, it's not the Thanos imperative. If you read Thanos, the Infinity Revelation, hit us up with your thoughts over at the THN forums. What are we taking a look at next month, Joe Patrick? So, we have a recommendation from a listener. Andrea Shockling's son, Avi, thinks that we should read The Shadow Hero by Gene Yang and Sunny Lou from First Second. First Second, very cool. Yeah. They put out good stuff. I've heard really great things. Uh, Gene Luen Yang, I avoided saying the middle part of his name because I wasn't sure how to pronounce it. I think you're doing fine. He is the author of American Born Chinese yeah. and Boxers and Saints. Uh, he's done a bunch of Avatar The Last Airbender stuff. Very, very highly acclaimed, especially American Born Chinese and Boxers and Saints. Heard great things about him. This Shadow Hero is supposed to be really great. It gets the obvious seal of approval, and I think we should take the challenge. I'm into it. All right. Sort of break it it down like this. And that is it for episode 175 of THN. If you learned something about not sharing your generals with unsuspecting viewers today and look forward to more important life lessons, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn, where we still need your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, or your hearts, because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Thank you, thank you to all of our donors. You keep the cold black blood running through the veins of this show. And if you want to help keep the wheels on this wagon, you can make your donation in any amount using our old-timey PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com. If you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation Monthly box. And as little as a dollar a month really does help. While you're there, you can find links to all of our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Skype, and our Ziggurat hotline, 402-8194. Using this perverted list of resources, you can beg the comic pushers for a new read. You can defend your questionable nerd taste in front of our two-headed judge for our Defender segment, or you can ask us to review your self-published comic, be it printed, digital, drawn on a t-shirt that we can wear. Ha ha, Brian DuPont, what do you think of that? Whatever. And don't forget to sign up for the THN forums. Drawn on a t-shirt that you can wear. You <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I'm a small. Joe Patrick is an extra, 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 extra large. I don't know. This uh, is your little virtual piece. Sure, let's go with that. <laughs> the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show. You can post pictures of your favorite sausage or just rap about comics. I like a good Italian sausage. No bratwurst allowed. Okay. 
Isn't a bratwurst a sausage? All bratwursts are sausages, but not all sausages are bratwurst, yeah. Okay, right. Remember to follow us on Twitter, like our Facebook page, and watch the forums if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. Then be sure to tune in to hear your answers on the Answer of the Week podcast. But if you need more teaching in your life now, get over to TwoEditNerd.com and check out Saturday Morning Cartoons, all about that really forgettable, incredible Hulk <laughs> cartoon from the 90s. Oh, it's terrible. Uh, it was on right after Force Works. Yeah. Or rather, it was Iron Man, uh, Invincible Iron Man. It was like Iron Man and the Force Works. Yeah, right. Back when they thought Force Works might actually be a thing. It was not a thing. <laughs> it let me turns tell out, you. no, it's not. <laughs> uh, Casey Baum has sent in not one, but two blogs this month. Unbelievable. The first blog's up. She was so moved by SummerSlam, she had to write about it. <laughs> the next one's about SummerSlam. It's being edited as we speak. You can look for that next week. It's like eight pages. <laughs> I can't wait. Next week, we're having another good old-fashioned fifth-week event where we'll be stepping into the comic studio for an interview with our very own Jason Sachs, author of the American Comic Book Chronicles, the 1970s. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to the star of Time Bandits and Star Wars, Kenny Baker, who turns 80 this Sunday. Word to you, R2-D2, and we hope you have the happiest of birthdays. We got you episode 175 of Two-Headed Nerd. Yeah, you believe it? You're welcome. Happy birthday. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics with your retailer. Just might kiss you on the mouth for it. This is a Two-Headed Nerd signing off.